Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Well, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your um, mobile phone, whether those electronic ones or or paper ones, please uh, turn with me to the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter number one. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's actually one in front of you, in the pew in front of you, and uh, um, Matthew chapter one is actually on page 807 in those Bibles. And um, and for those of you who are not familiar with where, you know, where Matthew might be because you don't know much about the Bible, it's after the book of Malachi and just before the book of Mark. And so I have, uh, I've stalled long enough so you can find your place. Uh, so Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be reading in verse 18, and it reads, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But he... But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that is which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And they called his name Jesus. I want to welcome you back to uh, uh, the third and final part of this series titled Christmas is Coming. And in this series, we've been doing something a little bit different than we normally do because, because what we've been doing is we've been actually taking a look and taking some time to, to take apart the Christmas story and look at the pieces of the story that we so often uh, just kind of like skip over. I mean, there are parts of the Christmas story we simply just kind of read through. We just kind of like skip over. We just overlook because, because that's what we do, especially with stories that we're familiar with. We kind of just skip over the details as we approach the big important milestone events. I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I'm watching a movie with my family that I've seen before at home, I usually know, right, what parts I can actually like skip out and kind of go get a snack or go to the restroom or get a drink of water or something. Um, because I know what's actually happening in the movie and I kind of know what the big high points are because, because I know what the major points of the movie. And so I know that I'm not going to miss the big explosions or, or the car chases or the important, you know, uh, turn of events or the, the really important conversations or dialogue between major characters. And it's because, you know, I'm familiar with the story and, and I know where the big important events are. And so I know kind of the details that I can skip over or the things that I can actually tune out. And I think that's the same thing with the Christmas story. We're so familiar with it. We kind of know all the high points that the details and the characters connected to, to the Christmas story. We kind of just kind of skim over and not think about that. We just kind of tune them out. I mean, you know what the parts of the story are, right? You know what it is that you you, you focus on. You know, it's you, you might focus on the 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 um, uh, the shepherds or the or the, or the magi or or the angel coming to talk to Mary. We know what we focus on, right? Well, the, the last couple of weeks we've actually been looking at the underneath parts of the story. We've been taking the time to look at the more obscure and the more uh, uh, or the less thought about characters of the Christmas narrative. In fact, last week we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth. I mean, in week one, we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth and their unborn son, John, which became um, John the Baptist. And then last week we talked about Simeon and Anna, who were two obscure people in the Bible that just kind of show up out of nowhere when Jesus is taken to the temple when he's 10 days old. And all of these stories, even though that they're obscure, they are still part of the Christmas story. They're in there for a reason. They're important uh, part of the actual narrative. There's something important in these stories to teach us. But these stories, because they are obscure, they're these parts of the narrative that we just kind of overlook or read past. We just kind of overlook them and, and, and we move on to the next major unfolding part of the drama. Uh, and, and we discovered that, that these seemingly... Um, insignificant parts of the Christmas story, actually, there's a lot of, 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 of spiritual truth that we can glean and, and learn from them. Uh, because these stories are about faithful people. They're about faithful people who spent their lives waiting for the hope of God, uh, waiting for God to fulfill his promise. They were waiting for the coming Messiah, the one who would come into the world and, and make all things right. And, and, and the rest of the world, they may have given up 
about uh, God. They may have given up hope and forgotten about God, but these people, people were spiritually uh, discerning and they were patiently and expecting waiting for God. And these people, because of their character and because of their faith and because of their perseverance, they can teach us a great deal about our own faith and our own hope that we have in, in God. Uh, they can teach us a lot about what it means to be devout. And they can teach us a lot about what it means to actually follow God in our own individual lives. And so these stories have a deep and important truth to to uh, teach us. And if you missed any of these stories in the last couple of weeks, you haven't been here, then, then the great thing that you can do here is you can actually get caught up by going to either our SoundCloud page um, or you can go to our church website um, and listen to the messages there. And, and, and for your convenience, inside the bulletin at the bottom on the right-hand side, we put both of those website addresses for you to be able to find. But, uh, but today, what we're going to do is we're going to take this kind of like theme we're running with, but we're going to change gears just a little bit. Because today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about somebody in this Christmas story that we're all actually really familiar with. Okay, I, I mean, I, I mean, we this person we're going to talk about is really, really famous when it comes to the Christmas story. In fact, just about everybody knows something about this man. He is a famous part of the Christmas story, and you will hardly ever hear the Christmas story told without this man being mentioned. He's a vital part of this Christmas narrative, and and even though he's a vital part of the story, though, and even though we know who he is, there's actually a lot more to this man than actually uh, most of us think about or realize. There's more than meets the eye. In fact. It's kind of like watching a movie where, you know, there's these supporting characters and you kind of get to know them and they're important to the plot of the story, right? And you seem like you kind of get a little understanding of who they are and what motivates them, but you kind of realize that there's a backstory, that there's kind of like a history. There's something more underneath the surface that you're not able to see on the screen. There's more to the story than what you actually get to see. I think that's why, like, we as Americans, we like prequels and spinoffs, you know, so much. You know, they're so popular with us on in movies and in, in TV. In fact, you know, my son is begging me right now to, uh, to take him to watch Star Wars Rogue One. And I don't think he even realizes that is a prequel to even before, you know, uh, like to the Star Wars story. You know what I mean? And so but there's this whole backstory that he's excited to learn about because of these, these characters. And it's kind of like the same thing here, you know. These characters actually have their own story to tell, and, 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 and it's, it's the same with this man that we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to, we, we see part of his story in the Christmas narrative, but there's actually a lot more to him that meets the eye. And so there's a lot we can actually learn from him. So today we're going to spend some time uh, looking at, at his life and talk about him and, and, and get to know this character uh, from the Christmas story. We're going to spend some time getting to know more about Jesus' adopted father. Uh, we're going to talk about... Um, Joseph the carpenter. You see, um, I think we all know something about Joseph, right? We all know that he plays a part in the Christmas narrative. We know that, that, that Joseph is Mary's husband-to-be. We know that he's there to take care of Mary after you know, she becomes pregnant with the Holy Spirit. We know that he takes her with, with him to Bethlehem to get registered for the census. We know that he was there to take care of her when, when the baby was born. We know that, that he takes care of Jesus and Mary, and, and, and he carries them to the temple to meet Simon and Anna, or Simeon and Anna. And then we know that, that he protects Mary and, and the baby Jesus by moving them to Egypt to keep them safe. And, and we know that, that he's concerned and worried about Jesus, even when he gets a little bit older, because Jesus, when he was 12, he kind of slips off from them and goes to the temple on his own and kind of disappears. And Mary and Joseph, they can't find him and they're, they're worried. In fact, Luke chapter two, verse 48 says, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us? So behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. He was, he, he was worried about losing Jesus. He was a good stepfather to Jesus. And that, that's part of the story we know about Jesus. I mean, Joseph, I mean, we know that he's a working man. We know that he's a carpenter. We know that, that, he, that he's uh, the biological father of Jesus's younger brothers who includes James, the guy that wrote the book book of, of James. And, 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 and we know something, all of us know something about Joseph. We're really familiar with him. And it's really easy because of our familiarity to overlook him. But, but, but there's a, a bigger part that he, he plays. There's, a, there's more to Joseph than, than meets the eye. You have to actually look at the, the text and actually dig in. And, and what's great about his life is that he can teach us a lot about our own walk with with Christ. This is a man who was there when God's voice was silent and he was there when God began to speak again 400 years later. So let's let's take a look at his story. And and the first part that we see Joseph is in Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 18 and it reads like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, he was she she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a couple of things that we got we got to notice here. Okay, um, this is a very Jewish first century culture, which means some of the ways that they did some things and some of the ways that some of their ideas were, were probably kind of strange to us, but they are very important to those people in the story. And they're very important to our understanding of the story. And so, so let's take a look at them. Number one, the idea of Mary being betrothed to Joseph, it meant that she was engaged to him. Okay. That, that they're engaged and the wedding has not taken place, right? They're st- they're not yet married, but in that culture, this type of engagement meant that, that this was a legal binding commitment. I mean, they might not have had the ceremony. They might not have, have been, not been able to consummate their marriage. But this was a binding relationship. She being betrothed was, meant that she was completely promised and completely committed to Joseph. And so in the eyes of the law, she belonged to him as if, if she were his wife. In fact, this kind of engagement actually required a divorce to break this engagement up. They were committed to each other. And, 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 and that she, that all that was basically left to fit, to basically finish their marriage up is, is the ceremony, um, and, and, you know, them actually, you know, consummating their, their relationship. And in, and this is an important point because here's the thing, any infidelity on her part could result in either number one, public disgrace or even worse, her, um, her death because he could have had her killed. In this culture, he could, have, he could have had her killed. She belonged to Joseph. And so Mary ending up pregnant before she actually was married and, and, and before they consummated their relationship, that, this was not like some you know, indiscretion. This was a really big deal in this culture. This had the potential for a huge scandal. This, this was not a casual issue. This was a matter of actually life and death. I mean, but, but look what it says in verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, understand what, what, what's saying here, what, what the, the, the text is saying. Joseph, who is, ex, is expecting to become the husband of Mary, all right, he finds out that she's pregnant. Okay, and understand at this point, he doesn't know that this has anything to do with God. He just finds out she's pregnant. All right, that's all he knows is that she's pregnant. And, and guess what? He knows how that happens, right? I mean, again, he doesn't know this is God. So he's already thinking what you and I would be thinking, right? The only way for a girl to get pregnant was for her to have a relationship, right? And so with this in mind, you know, in in everybody else's mind, she obviously, in his mind, was unfaithful to him. She obviously had been sneaking around on him. But, But notice what it says here. It says, but being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. I want you to think about this and just put yourself in his shoes. You meet someone, you fall in love with them. You give them your heart. You're engaged. You start planning your life together. You, you buy a house, right? You're getting all your, your stuff in order. You make all the arrangements. You've already paid for the flowers. You already, you've already like paid for the caterer, right? The church is decorated. The invitations are sent. People have already RSVP'd, all right? All is left is for the ceremony to take place. And then you find out that the person that you are about to spend the rest of your life with and be married to has been unfaithful to you. They've been in a relationship with someone else. And more than that, now there's a, a child that doesn't belong to you in the mix. Do you think that you would calmly think about how to deal with this situation? I mean, do you think that you would, you'd be like, I, I don't want to make a big deal out of this. You know, I, I, I just want to quietly kind of break it off and. You know, I, I, I just, I just want, I'm going to cancel the reservations and I'm going to send everybody just a discreet little note that says, um, yeah, the ceremony has been postponed indefinitely. We'll get back to you. You know what I mean? Or would you be like me where it'd be like, oh, everybody's going to know, right? Everybody's going to know about this. Everybody's going to know how low down rotten that person is. I mean, I'm going to tell all our friends. I'm going to tell all our family. I'm even going to go tell their mama, right? I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell their mama that they're, they're, they're a no good, low down, rotten, cheating individual. And, 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 and guess what? I probably would even blow it up on Facebook, right? I'd probably make it, you know, make this a social media nightmare on Facebook and Twitter, right? That's how I think I might handle that. I think most of us would probably handle it that way. We would be very hurt and we would want retribution, right? And that's how we would handle these kind of things. That's, we would want somebody to pay, you know, for that, for that disgrace and then indiscretion. That's, 
Because we would all be devastated, I would imagine. We would, we would be hurt to, to our deepest core. Well, well, Joseph was hurt, but, but Joseph does things differently. Look, it says, it says Joseph was a just man. Okay? And, and this word just can actually just as easily be translated as righteous. All right? and, and, and this is important because the idea here is that Joseph is a man who fears God and wants to obey God. He's obedient. Okay? And, and he wants to do what God wants him to do. And because of that, and because he is a just man... He displays a characteristic that's unique to God. He displays a characteristic that's found in God himself. Joseph, like God, is merciful. He is merciful towards Mary. I don't know if I could be merciful, right? But he's merciful towards Mary because he doesn't know the circumstances of, 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 of her being pregnant. He, he decides, you know what? She's pregnant, but I don't want to hurt her. So I'm going to go ahead and, and, and I'm going to divorce her. Now, Seriously, he could have just said the word and they would have taken her out to the edge of town and they would have stoned her and put her to death for this. But he doesn't resort to that. Instead, he says, you know, I'm just going to be I'm just going to be kind to her. I'm going to divorce her quietly. And I don't want to make a public spectacle out of this. Instead of he, he makes a point not to just protect her life, but he decides to also protect her dignity as well. And so he he thinks about how he can quietly divorce her. He's contemplating this is how the language reads uh, about how not to put her to shame. And then and then obviously falls asleep. Now, um, I don't know if you realize it, though. Joseph in this, he's not just some guy in this story. OK, Joseph, just by this little bit that we learn from the text, is a man of deep integrity and character and compassion, right? And it's no wonder that God chose him to be Jesus's adopted father. It's no wonder why God chose him to raise his son. Joseph was a man of love and mercy. He, like God, was gracious and selfless. Joseph refused to exercise his rights in an effort to protect the young Mary. And then verse 20, it says, but as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Take her into your home is basically what he's saying. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall Conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Joseph, when he woke up from a sleep, right, he did exactly what the angel commanded him. He took his wife, right, and he took care of her. But then he knew her not, it says, until she had given birth to a son, all right, and they called his name Jesus. All right, so even though that, that, that she lived in Joseph's house, he respected what was happening, and he was not intimate with her until Christ was born. Now, this is the part of the story, I think, that we just kind of instinctively, after we read that, we kind of feel like Mary's off the hook now, and we kind of go, yay, kind of worked itself out, right? That everything is good now, everything's better, right? That God has told Joseph, and, 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 and he, that Mary's not unfaithful, she's pregnant through God, and it's all good, it's going to be fine, everything's going to work itself out, everything can kind of go back to normal, right? Well, no. It's, it's not fine and things can't go back to normal because, because Mary's still pregnant and everybody knows, right? And Mary is not married to Joseph yet and everybody knows. And, and everybody knows that, that, that she's not pregnant by Joseph, right? And so now Joseph, he, he moves from, from considering a quiet divorce to actually now having to stay in a relationship with Mary and then having to have her move into his house under his care, right? And then be, and not being married yet. And on top of that, he has to deal with all the gossip that's going to go with this now. Because, because not only is Mary unfaithful in the eyes of the community, Joseph now is a big fool, right? He is a big fool for not getting rid of her. Because, because let me just tell you, if you told me that your girlfriend or your wife was pregnant, but it wasn't your child, and you told me that, that, that God got her pregnant, I'd be like, I don't think I believe that. I'm sorry. You know? I mean, I would struggle with that, all right? All right? I mean, and I'm a Christian, but I would struggle with that idea because I think you would too. Now, think about Joseph. He's a devout Jewish man. He's a local tradesman, and he, me- and, 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 and he, mean- I mean, he knows lots of people in his community. And now his fiance is pregnant with God's baby. How do you think 
his relationships in town fared. I mean, you guys live in a small town. You kind of know how, how rumors get started and how even the stuff that has some truth behind it kind of gets twisted out, right? It must, have been, it must have been terrible, right? You see, not only was Joseph, did he have to take care of Mary, but now he's in a position to have to like defend her honor, right? No one's going to understand. No one's going to believe the story. An angel came to her and said, you know what I mean? No one's going to believe that, right? He had to protect her from the community. He had to protect her from the family. And, and, and can you imagine all the jokes that they told about Mary and Joseph? That was probably really, really bad. But Joseph was obedient to God. He trusted God and he did what God called him to do at great personal expense to himself. And again, no wonder God chose him to take care of Mary and the baby Jesus. Joseph was just and merciful and he was obedient to God even when it was hard, which leads us to the first truth that we can learn from Joseph, which is this. Sometimes doing the will of God will be very uncomfortable. You see, for most of us Christians here in America, faith isn't, doesn't really require a whole lot out of us. All right, we go to church, we sing some songs, we pray some prayers, we occasionally read the Bible, you know. Um, but for the most part, it's not difficult. It's not uncomfortable. But let me just tell you, and to be honest with you, it's not God's will for you. God's will is not for you to sit back in your comfort zone and just live this comfortable, pain-free Christian existence. That's not at all what he has in mind for you. That's not his will for you. Actually, it's God's will for you to stand up and actually make a fool out of yourself for him. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.15, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 4.10, he says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We, I mean, you were held in honor. We in disrepute. God wants you to be willing to stand up in a world that has its own ideas and willingly look foolish to them for the cause of Christ. God wants you to get out of your comfort zone and stop making excuses. And he wants you to share the hope and the faith that he has given you in Christ with other people. God wants you not to conform to the rest of this world, but be transformed into something new. He wants you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants you to be changed in the image of Christ and Christ didn't live a, a comfortable existence. He wants you to be by your very nature at odds with the rest of the world. God wants you to stand out in your community. That's why he says, let your light shine before men. God doesn't want you to comfortably fit in. He wants you to stand out in sharp contrast to the rest of the world, boldly proclaiming your faith in him, boldly declaring your belief in his authoritative, infallible word. He wants you to stand up and, and call right, right, and wrong, wrong, and sin, sin. He wants you to, to get up and he wants you to go love those people who are hard to love. And he wants you to live an extraordinary life that points other people back to him. God isn't interested in you being comfortable. He's interested in you being obedient. I'm going to say that again because I need to hear that again. I think we all need to hear this. God isn't interested in you being comfortable. He's interested in you being obedient. He isn't interested in you being well-liked. He isn't interested in everybody liking you as much as I wish he was. He isn't interested in you living a life of convenience or comfort. He isn't interested in you having all your material possessions and all your material wishes come true. He isn't interested in you living a life without any confrontation. God is interested in you. He isn't interested in you being comfortable. He is interested in you being obedient to the call. That's God's will for your life. And that's what we see in Joseph. He finds himself in an uncomfortable situation. And so he resolves to, un, to, to graciously and quietly divorce Mary. And then he finds out that that's even more uncomfortable than that. You know, he has to now protect this woman who's been a label by the entire community and her family as an adulteress. It wasn't easy for him. It wasn't even remotely comfortable. But Joseph's life was, was, was everything but comfortable. But, but, but the thing is, is Joseph obeyed anyway. He did what God wanted him to do, which means he had to take care of Mary financially. He had to take care of her physically. And while she was pregnant with God's baby, you know, he had to be responsible for her and he had, he had to take care of her, 
right? And, and, and the thing is, is he's, he's in this relationship with her, but he doesn't even have the, the, all the benefits of being married because there's no intimacy during this time. But he took care of her and he looked after her and he loved her and he was loving towards her and he never left her side. Even when he had to go back to his hometown to register for the census, he took her with him. And we find that part of the story about Joseph in Luke chapter 2. And it says in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because these are the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, this is the part of the story where life gets actually a little bit more difficult for, for Joseph. Obviously, more difficult, you know, it's going to be more difficult for Mary because she's the one that's pregnant. But, uh, and, and not only that, she has to ride on the back of this donkey for like 80 miles to Bethlehem. But, but I want you to think about what Joseph's going through. Okay? Remember, Joseph is engaged to a woman who is pregnant with somebody else's baby. And yes, it's God's baby, but it's still somebody else's baby. Okay? And, and he is engaged to her and he has taken her into her, his home and, and he's providing for her. He's taking care of her. And in addition to that, then there's these whispers and rumors and jokes. And, and there's these, these, this, this impolite kind of laughter in the marketplace. And there's these strange and sarcastic looks from, from the neighbors. And, and, and to make things even more challenging, now that he needs to travel to his family's home city of Bethlehem to register for the census, which meant he'd have to take an 80-mile journey on foot to get there. But then to make things even more complicated, Mary is about nine months pregnant, which means she's going to need a lot of extra help and a lot of extra patience on this journey. Because think about this. When, when Kim was pregnant with our, 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 our children, she absolutely glowed. And, and, and I mean, she was beautiful as she carried our kids. But, but let me tell you, it wasn't always to do things or go places when, when, when Kim was pregnant, especially in the latter parts of her pregnancy. Even with our modern conveniences, right? Traveling from Bakersfield to Boron with a pregnant woman in the car, which is a distance really from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem, it wasn't really that easy, okay? I mean, a trip that normally would take an hour and a half sometimes could take twice that long because of all the bathroom breaks and the motion sickness and, and the need to stop and get a snack. I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on. And not to mention all the stuff you have to pack and take with you, right? You got the snacks and the water and the, and the, and the pillows and, you know, just in case she needs to get comfortable. And then there's the extra change of clothes because my kids had this habit of always standing on her bladder, you know what I mean? And so there, there, there's always these things you have to do. And, and this is the 21st century of cell phones and GPS and air conditioning and heat with a push of a button in the car. But Joseph has none of that, right? He not only has to get to Bethlehem, but he has to take a nine-month pregnant Mary to get there and not by car, on the back of a donkey. Think about that just for a second. 80 miles. Walking beside her, he has to help her on. He has to help her off the beast of burden. He has to help carry everything that she needed. He has to help her use the restroom on the side of the road because you know there wasn't any AMPMs or Stuckies or anything like that, right? All right. And, and, and he had to make sure that, that they brought enough food to eat and make sure she had plenty of, you know, to drink and make sure she had, had a chance to rest. I'm sure her back was hurting. And he, and he was constantly taking care of her you know, as they made their way. And then they get there and it just gets better. Right? Because there's not even a place to stay. Right? I mean, there's, there's no hotel rooms. There's no hostels. There's no more homes where people are, are taking anybody in. They have to basically sleep in a cave with the animals. Right? And, and to further complicate things, to make it even more complicated, then she goes into labor. Right? I've been there a few times. Okay? It gets kind of hectic. Right? And, 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 and so they, they're all the way to Bethlehem. No hotel room. No hospital. No epidurals. No ice chips. You know, you, you pregnant ladies would, would know what that was about. Um, no, no ice chips. No hospital food. No doctors or nurses. Mary goes into labor. And I'm just going to tell you, I remember when Kim had Michaela, And she was in labor forever, it seemed like. And, um, and, and, and I was in a hospital room you know, with her the whole time. And, and after Kim gave birth... And I was finally able to rest. I mean, she was wiped out, but 
But after that, I was, I was able to finally lay down and get some sleep. And, and I'm going to tell you, like, even though I was in a hospital room in a comfortable chair, you know, for 36 hours straight being awake, um, you know, and, and I was still able to eat regular warm meals, but I was still exhausted, right, being there with my wife. And, and I didn't even do anything. She did all the work, right? I just sat there holding her hand and, you know, just comforting her and, and, and just, you know, encouraging her. But, but, but after she was done, I was, I was exhausted. Well, imagine in the first century, no, no adjustable beds, those little, you know what I mean? And uh, no running water, no heat, no air conditioning, no IVs, no comfy chairs, no sterile cloths. Just marry Joseph, some midwives, some straw, some cows, the manger, right? I'm sure this was actually, I mean, if, if you know, for you dads who've been in the room, there's still a little stress involved in that. Well, I imagine that there was some stress during, during Joseph's life at this moment. I mean, imagine it was not quite what he pictured when he first looked at Mary and go, I want to marry that girl. I don't think that that was the, the, that was the future that he, he saw, right? He had to take on a great deal of extra responsibility. And I think that, that this, this, this was a definitely difficult and stressful situation. And this brings us to the second point that we learned from Joseph, which is this. Sometimes in the will of God will be stressful and difficult. And that's the bottom line truth that so many of us Christians, we just want to ignore. Okay. Sometimes doing the will of God will be stressful and difficult because think about this. The Bible does not say, put your trust in Jesus and all your problems will disappear. You won't find that verse in there. Okay. The Bible does not say, put your trust in Jesus and you will live a stress-free life. That verse is not in there. The Bible does not say, come to you, to come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and trust in me and all the difficult situations in your life will vanish. It doesn't say that. No, the Bible says things like in this world, you will have tribulation. It says things like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The Bible says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It says things like, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when you when, when his glory is revealed. The Bible says things like, you know, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? It says things like, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. My friends, the Bible is really clear. Really clear. The Christian life is not about a stress-free existence. It never has been, and it won't be this sign of eternity. The Christian life is about being obedient and following God and continuing even when things are difficult and when things are stressful. The Christian life is about loving God and loving people so much that you find a way to push through and keep going even when things are crazy and hard and hectic and frustrating and stressful. You know, that's what the Christian life is is about. God is not interested in you living a stress-free life. He is interested in your obedience. He is interested in you following where he leads. And that's what Joseph does. He continues to be obedient when things are stressful. He continues to follow God and do what God commanded him to do, even when things were hard, even when things were overwhelming, even when things were dangerous. In fact, Matthew chapter 2, we read the story of the wise men or the magi who came uh, to worship the baby. And on their way, they, they end up stopping and talking to King Herod. And King Herod, upon hearing the news of the birth of Christ, was troubled because the birth of Christ seemed to him as a threat to his power. And so he devises a scheme to have these magi report back to him where the baby Jesus was so he could worship him. Well, actually, he just wanted to kill Jesus. But the wise men, these magi, were warned by God about Herod. And, they, so, and so what they did is they didn't go back to Herod, but they went home by a different route. So Herod had no idea where Jesus was. And so we, we pick up that story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, and it reads, Now when they, the, the magi, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee. This is, this is a, an important word. Flee. To Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw 
that he had been tricked by the wise men became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. I don't know if you can imagine this, but after everything that Joseph was, had been through, after the public shaming because of Mary being pregnant by somebody else other than Joseph, and by, from after all the sideways looks and the, le- the whispers and the laughs and nine months of having to take care of Mary in an 80-mile trip to Bethlehem, and then not finding a place to stay, and then, then her going into labor in this cave, essentially, finally baby Jesus was born. And then suddenly, for a brief moment, everything was right with the world. Because this baby was obviously special. And people just started showing up to worship him. Shepherds came out of nowhere to worship him. And these magi came out and they worshiped him. And they brought expensive gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, right? They worshiped the baby. And then they go to the temple. And then people like Simeon and Anna, they greet them. And they're just celebrating, you know, at, 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 the, at just seeing this baby. It's a happy and joyous time. And finally, the difficulty and the stress and the dif- discomfort seem to be past him. Finally, he can take a breath and go, okay, things are going to be back to normal, right? He's going to get a chance to enjoy his son. And then Joseph has sent another message, you know, by God in a dream. And God tells him, rise and take the child and his mother and flee. Flee for your lives to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. Joseph. I know that you're like just now getting your getting your your wind back and getting your feet underneath you, but now you got to go. The baby's life is in danger. Mary's life is in your life is in danger. You have to go, and you have to go now. And it says that he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And understand, they didn't have to just leave town, right? They didn't have to just leave kind of like the region. They had to leave the country. They had to go and they had to pack up and go and move in haste to Egypt. Just as things seemed like that they were going to be back to normal again. Just as things seemed like they were going to calm down. They had to pack up everything and get out of Dodge. They had to move to Egypt and stay there until Herod died. So that way Jesus could be safe. And again, God gave Joseph direction and Joseph obeyed. And in this part of the story, we learn you know, a third lesson, which is sometimes doing the will of God will be dangerous. And as Christians here in America, we've really enjoyed re- religious freedom. And, and uh, we really don't think much about this, right? But it's the truth. Sometimes doing the will of God will be dangerous, especially for those who take you know, calls, I mean, Christ's call seriously to go out into the world and preach the gospel. There are parts of the world where preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ will cost you your life. There are martyrs who die every day for the sake of Christ, people who die to share Christ. But that's, that's not all. There's a growing danger here in our own country, and, and we all see it. There's a growing danger of openly professing your faith in Christ and professing that you believe what the Bible actually teaches. Now, most of these threats right now are not death threats, but people are being publicly humiliated and financially ruined through lawsuits over their faith in Christ in our country. And we've all heard the stories about people like bakers who have been bankrupted by courts because of their faith. And pastors who have been fired from government jobs. They have, a, they, they're, they're, they have two jobs. They're a pastor and they have a regular job. And they're being fired by, their, uh, by, by the government uh, in their own jobs because of their profession of faith. And we've heard about you know, celebrity couples who have been targeted for boycotts and public shaming on social media. Because of their faith. And I'm telling you, it's only going to get worse. The truth is following God and doing what he's calling us to do, right? It's not only uncomfortable at times, and it's not only stressful at times, but it's going to be dangerous at times. And and here's the thing that you have to understand. Even though it's dangerous, God still expects you to obey. Even when it's Dangerous. God still expects us to share our faith and proclaim the truth. That's why Jesus said, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. God expects us to follow and obey even when it's hard, even when it's dangerous. And this might be hard for some of us to hear. Okay. 
But why? There's a question you have to ask. Why did Christ come to the earth in the first place? That's the question you have to ask that, that really bears the reason why we are obedient. He came not to guarantee you a happy life this side of eternity. He didn't come here so that we would never feel pain in this life. Okay? He, he came... He came to guarantee us a long, happy life in eternity. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from an eternity in hell. He came to give us eternal life. This is something we must understand. Jesus came to give us eternal life because eternal life is infinitely more important than this temporal life right here, right now. You understand that? You understand that no matter how great your life is right now, no matter how happy you are right now, no matter how healthy you live, and no matter how long you think you're going to live, this life, this life that you're living right here, this side of eternity, at some point, this life is going to come to an end. Sooner or later, and that is the truth. You and me, we are all going to die. Every one of you, every one of you at some point in the future is going to stop breathing. Your heart will stop beating. You will die. And so it won't matter how happy you are. It won't matter how pain-free or stress-free your life was. It will be over. And every one of you after that, after you die, will step off into eternity. And you will live forever somewhere. You see, you will either spend eternity with God or you spend eternity apart from God in torment in hell. End of story. That is the options. That's exactly what the Bible makes very clear. The life that you have right now will end someday. And your life after you die here will continue forever. The only question that gets answered is where will you spend that life? Jesus came to give us that eternal life because eternal life is infinitely more important than this temporal life, which means being obedient to God Being obedient to God's call is paramount of importance in our life here, even when things are dangerous. God still expects us to obey his will because there is so much at stake. That's the part that we have to understand is there's so much at stake for other people and their eternity. God still expects us to do what he called us to do. And because of that, and because of that, that's what Joseph did. Joseph did exactly what he was called to do. He knew that there was more at stake. He knew that God had a bigger plan. He needed to do what God called him to do. And because of that, and because of Joseph's sacrificing, because of everything that Joseph did, guess what happened to Joseph? Well, well actually, the Bible doesn't mention Joseph again after um, the time where Jesus was 12 years old and his parents lost him you know, in Jerusalem at the, at the temple. Right? That's the very last we hear of Joseph in, in, in the story of Jesus. There's no other mention about him being, you know, when Jesus was baptized. There's no mention of Joseph uh, when Jesus goes into ministry. There's no mention of, of Joseph when Jesus was arrested or crucified or resurrected. I don't know if you realize that, but, but like, like the, the Bible just stops talking about Joseph altogether. And the reason for that is probably because Joseph died before all that happened. In fact, the tradition, church tradition holds that Joseph died uh, when Jesus was 18 years old which means that it's like a full 12 years before Jesus even went into ministry, which means that Joseph, for all that he went through and all that he did and all that he did to take care of Mary and protect the baby, Joseph did not live long enough to see his adopted son become the Messiah. He did not live long enough to see Jesus raised from the dead. He did not live long enough to see the fulfillment of God's promises. He dies before that happens. And that kind of seems sad, doesn't it? I mean, he really went through a lot and he endured a lot, right? I mean, he, he endured a lot just because of the person he got engaged to. That was, the, that was his decision that changed his whole life. And he never gets to see where all this is going. I mean, Mary, at least, you know, she sees it. I mean, even though she had to witness, you know, um, her son being crucified. But she got to see the, the miracles and the sermons and then see the resurrection. But Joseph, he died before any of that happened. And it's this part of Joseph's life that really reminds us of a really important truth, which is sometimes in the will of God means not seeing the fruit of your efforts. Because that's just the way it is. There are going to be times that you will do God's will. You will do what God calls you to do. And you may never actually even know what the outcome is in your own lifetime. You're just called to do what you're called to do. 
Which means that you might share the gospel with someone today and not know that 10 years later in another town in another part of the world that, their wor- that your words are ringing in their head as they give their life to Christ. You don't know what seeds that you plant that are actually going to grow. You don't know how many people it is that you actually impact in your daily life at school or at work or in your family or out in, in the community. You don't know the outcome of all your acts of kindness or the impact you know, that you have with your words of encouragement for other people. Many never know the full impact of the testimony of their life. And that's okay because we serve a very big God who has big plans and who works in the long term. That means sometimes doing the will of God means that we're not going to see the fruit of our efforts. And that's okay. But here's the thing. Even if you never see that person come to Christ in, in this life, or you never see a person's life change because of your faith and testimony, God still expects for you to be obedient and to follow him. You see, there's more to Joseph's story than that just simply meets the eye. When you just read through the Christmas story, you kind of look past this stuff. But there's a lot we can learn from him. And and we've learned that, that sometimes doing the will of God can be uncomfortable. And sometimes doing the will of God can be stressful and difficult. And sometimes doing the will of God can be dangerous. And sometimes doing the will of God means not seeing the fruit of our efforts. But that's all okay because... Christ came into this world not to give you a comfortable life. And he came in this world not to give you a stress-free existence. And he came in this world not to keep you out of physical danger. And not to make sure that you see all the fruit and fulfillment of all of your work. Christ came in this world to save you from your sins. And Joseph obeyed and did everything he could to make sure that Christ could come into the world. And because of that, we were blessed by Joseph's sacrifice. An example. Think about this. You and I are directly impacted by the life that Joseph lived. Talk about fruit you'll never see in your lifetime. Now, I realize that this is not your typical pre-Christmas message, right? Because most of the time we talk about Christmas, everybody wants to talk about all the good feeling stuff, right? And, uh, and, and I realize that maybe, you know, talking about the things that we talked about, maybe I've kind of shaken things up a bit for you, you know? I mean, maybe you kind of start with this perspective, you know, uh, or that you come to Christ or you come to church because you thought or maybe someone told you that if you will, you know, uh, come to Jesus, all your problems will go away and you'll be healthy and happy and carefree for the rest of your life, right? And so maybe I've kind of like shaken your world a little bit. And what I have to say about that is, good because you need to have your world shaken if that's the reason why you come to jesus because jesus came to set you free from the penalty of your sin from the power of sin in your life and then ultimately the presence of sin he came to give you eternal life and not make things perfect in this life and so this Christmas season, I want, I want you to ask yourself, I want you to take this a moment and just ask yourself and think about this Christmas story and think about now, as you read the story and you think about Joseph, think about what he went through. I want you to ask, am I willing to follow God where he leads me? Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's difficult and stressful, even if it's dangerous, and even if there's a chance that, that, that I will not see how it turns out. Am I willing to follow God through all of that? And here's the thing. If you say no, you can say no. That's cool. But, but if you say no, then you need to ask yourself, did I really meet Jesus? And did I understand what he actually saved me from? Do I actually understand what it is the problem was? You need to really kind of think about your relationship with God and think about what he actually did and the price that he paid to set you free. And then if you uh, say yes, yes, I am willing to do what it takes then what you need to do is you just need to get busy following God and doing the hard things that he's calling you to do that you and I have a tendency to make excuses not to do. Um, And so as we approach Christmas, there are lots of people in this community that don't know who Jesus is. There are lots of people in this community that will say that they do, but there are lots of people in this community that have never, ever heard the gospel, who have never fully understand what it means to put their faith in Jesus. And you and I have an opportunity This weekend, this is the weekend that people come to church. You have an opportunity to go out 
take some invitations, invite some people here, and fill this place up for both services so we can share the hope of Jesus Christ. I promise you get them here, they will hear the gospel, the authoritative gospel that saves their lives, and then we will give them a chance to make that decision. Now, whether or not they make the decision is completely between them and God, but we will do our part. So I invite you to partner with me this week to do the hard work, which is be uncomfortable and invite people and talk to them about Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that as we wrap up this series, that most importantly, above everything else, that you were glorified in what we've talked about. Because if you're not in the message, then I am just preaching self-improvement sermons. And that's not what I want to do. I want to preach your word because I want you to authoritatively speak to all of our hearts and lives. And I pray that through this, that you would, you would prepare us to be the people you're calling us to be. That we would get off the sidelines and we would get into the fight. That we would be willing to be uncomfortable. We would be willing to say, Jesus is Lord and Savior. We would be willing to say that the Bible is, in fact, your infallible word. That we'd be willing to stand and defend those things. And maybe we'd, we wouldn't have all the answers, but we would be able to say, I know some people who might be able to help you. And it would just come to church and hear the gospel. I pray that, Father, that, Lord, as we're preparing for this Christmas season, Lord, that this would be a groundswell movement that you would bring people here and fill this building up. Not that we're looking for numbers. We just want you to be glorified and we want your people to be saved. That's what we want. We want to see souls turn to you and be and, and to glorify you. That's what we want more than anything else. We want you and your son to just shine like a beacon of hope in, the, in this world. And so we would just pray that all we say and do would, would glorify you. And we pray that we'd have supernatural courage to be able to speak to our neighbors and our friends and our family and invite them here. And that, that, and that this wouldn't end with Christmas, that we would continue on to become the disciples that you're calling us to be, to grow in the knowledge that you want us to grow in, and then to boldly contend for our faith everywhere we go. And that there would be a revival here at First Baptist Church, and there would be a revival in this community, and there would be a revival in our country as our people turn back to you. We thank you for that. We pray that you're glorified in all that we say and all that we do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.